This episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by The Athletic, who would like to remind you that it's a bad idea to miss exclusive in-depth coverage of this unprecedented time in sports. You can sign up now for yourself to see the creativity, reporting, and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. I would point you in the direct direction of Pablo Mar's latest piece about George Best's time in the NASL. Uh, whether you're a Man United fan or not, it's really enjoyable and very interesting. I would definitely check it out. If you go to theathletic.com slash totalsoccer, you can receive 40% off an annual subscription. Sports are back, and you won't want to miss breaking stories on your favorite teams. So go to theathletic.com slash totalsoccer for 40% off an annual subscription. We hope to see you there. And welcome to the Total Soccer Show. I'm Taylor Rockwell. Joining me today on the line, and I can see his smiling face via the magic of the internet, is Luke Moore of the Football Ramble Empire. I am calling it an empire. Luke, thanks so much for taking the time. Good, as always, to speak with you. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. And you do not deny that it's an empire, I hear. So we can say Luke confirms it is a media empire at this point. If I confirm it's an empire, people will say I'm arrogant. If I deny that it's an empire people will say it's faux modesty so i'm just gonna let it hang out there whatever pete donaldson says it's an empire luke yeah, Moore couldn't perfect. possibly yeah. comment is that a better way to put it exactly well listen what it does mean is that now we've got so many more people on the shows it means i haven't got to do quite as many so people don't get quite as annoyed with me so i'm enjoying the the the, the, the um the anonymity of that Actually, I wanted to ask you that because we obviously do a fair number of shows every week. Is there is it nice to not have that pressure to like know you can pick your spots and really like go deep and do the research and do the preparation, or is it still just sort of jumping in to fill roles when uh, the situation yeah, requires? I, I don't really pick my spots. So we have producer Charlie does all that, and so I just get given the shows I'm given. Um, but it's, what's really important is for people to hear from exciting, interesting, more diverse people on the show. I mean, we still want to make the show that everyone loves and we still want to make it irreverent and entertaining and fun and and a bit insightful as well um but it's great that we get new people on there and new fresh voices i mean we've been doing this for a long time so it's important to keep it fresh and if people judge the shows on their merits they'll they'll enjoy them because i've, I've been enjoying them a lot more than i have been in the past it's been great not to go on a negative note right off the bat, but I'm going to. Uh, coronavirus was obviously a, a big hit to many different businesses. Like we sort of started doing like classical team reviews and Netflix shows and uh, Settle Until I Die and stuff like that. How did you all sort of weather that storm? How did you all still continue to turn out content with so many different uh, shows at once? Um, just you just I know it's going to sound a little bit conceited, but you just got to rely on your quality as a broadcaster. You've got to find the stories, you've got to develop your opinions on them, you've got to think up fresh, fun ideas, and you've got to commit to what you said you were going to commit to. And and fortunately, at that point, we had um, pre-rec shows like Ramble Meets were pre-recked, and and some other ones were were kind of in the can early, so they were timeless pieces of content. So like the Blizzard Greatest Games episodes were already recorded because it doesn't really matter when they're recorded and then the other stuff we, we just we just supplemented the lack of football with things like we did a Pete film club about football films we did um some other bits and pieces around um you know stories that because you know, there's always football stories going on what, what if your listeners are mostly based in the US what they might kind of underestimate is just the sheer volume of 
stories and appetite for news about the sport generally anyway now obviously it's it's not great when you can't talk about a game or talk about a particular performance or a goal or whatever but there's always stuff to talk about mm. so I, I personally didn't find it that difficult we were doing monday and friday ramble shows and i was doing the european football show on a thursday but to be honest the guys i work with are pros and and it made it a lot easier particularly someone like andy brasso who's like in my view the best european football pundit in the world like working with him is easy because he just knows everything. So um, it wasn't as bad. I did fear the worst, but it didn't turn out to be as bad as, as as it could have done. The hardest part was not being in the same room as the guys because that's what I'm used to being doing. And, and thankfully at the moment with the new team and, and there's eight of us now and three people are in the same studio at least. And so we can make a much more, it's a much easier process. I don't want to get into the boring edit, edit side of stuff for people, but it's a much easier edit and a much easier production when you're in the same studio. I want to ask you a question about Andy Brassel for a moment. Like I've had a few interactions with him and it seems like if you're trying to like nail down an interview, at least for a while, he was like, well, I'm in Istanbul on Tuesday and Wednesday, but then I'm in Romania for a couple of days. Then I'm in Italy. Yeah. Then I'll be back. Like, is he one of the most traveled men, at least in terms of European football that you can think of? Yeah, he probably would be the most traveled. Um, I think he's finding it tough not getting out there much at the moment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he is. And uh, he's, he's brilliant at his job. Just before lockdown, he and I were in Germany. We made a bunch of, t- uh, of uh, podcasts um, based around Dortmund, around um, uh, Dusseldorf, around some other stuff as well. You can still listen to those now. I think they came out around the start of March. And um, he's great to travel with because he can speak every stinking language in the world as well. So it seems like so it's easy. Did you get to hang out with Lutz in uh, Dusseldorf? Yes, I saw Lutz. Yeah, I saw Lutz. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is, is Lutz a friend of your show? Do people know who he is? Uh, I think so. He's been on He's been on once or twice now. Uh, yeah, we, we right. met him when we were in Germany as well. He is like the most – because so many of the, the presentations we went to were very men in suits telling us about the business model and how Bayern Munich have like gone that. about being a sustainable – no, let's get him in a T-shirt. It was just like, what? What? Who has a question? What are we talking about? Like he was high energy and good to go, but Wait, I imagine gave you some good content. Well. He's played on every continent, you know that. Yeah, for yeah, and like jailed for match fixing, alleged well, alleged match fixing that was then overturned. Stole a stole a penguin, borrowed a penguin. I guess he would say he's got some <laughs> stories. That man does. I'm pleased that, legally. I'm pleased this is your show, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about any of that. Yeah, I'm not always great with the in, in the same way that we will frequently say the spoiler and then say spoiler alert. I feel like I will yeah. say the thing and then be like, allegedly, does that cover me? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, My wife's a lawyer. I should probably ask. Um, so. Andy Brassel, the world traveler. Luke, the question I have for you relates to grocery shopping. On a relatively recent show, I think I texted you about this, uh, you were, I believe, contemplating buying three cakes at once when you were doing the shopping. Is that still how you were handling the pandemic? Well, you know, I go through phases. I, I think um, lots of people will recognize the um, putting on of, of weight when the lockdown first started. But I've come gone, I've kind of gone up the other side now. Yeah, I'm not saying anything to you about you. <laughs> I've come up the other side now. I've started to be more regimented about it. I've found a little bit of a routine. Yeah. So basically, if you're asking me what I do when I go to the shops, is I do whatever my wife tells me to do. And <laughs> Then I'll pay for it. <laughs> stick to, to, go. Stick yeah. to that list. I like it. All right. Well, let's talk about actual football then for a moment. Uh, 2020 already strange to make it even stranger. Arsenal are now FA Cup champions. Uh, in August, even stranger. Uh, yeah. Season review articles that I read prior to this game, and those are always a little bit hit or miss. You can take those with a grain of salt. We're sort of saying that Arsenal had had a bad season. And I, my argument was that they sort of failed to take into account the transition into the Arteta era, such as it is. Uh, and then with this, t- with this FA Cup win... 
How successful do you think this season was for Arsenal in terms of getting to where they need to be to have a strong season at the conclusion, but then also have a strong season next year? The FA Cup is like a favourite jumper of the modern Arsenal team. They can always reach for it and put it on and it makes them feel a lot better about themselves. And that's not to say there's anything wrong with that because it's an important trophy to win in um, in English football. Uh, it's much more um, illustrious than the League Cup and it's you know it's still got a great tradition and it's the oldest cup competition in the world, as lots of people know. So it's a great thing for them to win it. Um, they've had a difficult season. Uh, because they've changed their manager. Although it feels like it was about five years ago. It wasn't. They've got a new coach, really, in situ still, who is who has been hired for the coach they think he can become rather than the coach he is now because he's got no track record, really, other than working under Pep Guardiola as an assistant as a, as a first-team manager. But the early signs are good. I mean, I spent a decent amount of time going to Arsenal's training ground towards the end of Arsenal Wenger's regime, and it was... Not great. I mean, it's the discipline was clearly a problem. They've got a cultural issue there that Arteta is still working through, and that Unai Emery wasn't able to to solve. Is that likely to be the case after a certain manager has been there for such a long time? I think it's almost inevitable. So, Arsenal fans are going to have to be patient. I think on that front. But to answer your question about the season, I think given what they've been through to emerge from it as with a trophy and to know they're going to be playing European football next season. I think on one level, that's a success. Their league position is poor in what has been outside of Liverpool, a pretty poor season generally, I would say, in terms of standard in the Premier League. Then maybe they, they, they have more work to do than they think. Uh, it's difficult to say at this stage because it's hard to judge teams because of what's gone on towards the end of the season. With the cultural issue you mentioned there that Unai Emery failed to sort of eradicate Arteta is working towards, what is that issue and how have you seen it manifest? I think the discipline was poor towards the end of the Wenger era. And I think what it felt like was a boys club. It felt like something that just, you know, the mediocre was acceptable, was fine. And excuses would be made a lot for bad performances. Over and over again, they would disappoint, particularly at home in the Premier League, in games they were supposed to win. They wouldn't go above and beyond. They'd never put out a result that you'd think, oh my God, where's that come from kind of thing. And they never really went and did anything outside of the FA Cup. Now, Arsene Wenger was, is one of, if not the most revolutionary head coach in the Premier League's history. You know What he was able to achieve is incredible. You don't need me to take you through the rap sheet. I mean, everyone knows what it was. But towards the end of his career at Arsenal, it wasn't where it should have been. And it was very difficult. It was a very um, problematic and long fought uh, decoupling. And and so there's always going to be an aftershock after that. The man ran the whole club. He, he you know, the Emirates is the stadium that Arsenal. It's the house that Wenger built. You know, there's everywhere you look, his shadow is going to be a very long one. So. They almost had to go through this the same way Ferguson left United and they had to go through Moyes and one or two others and make their mistakes to settle on what they hope is the right situation. They're doing that now, Arsenal. Um, and there's a lot of positivity around Arteta on these shores because he's an ex-Arsenal guy. People are impressed with him in press conferences. He seems to have high standards that he demands not just of his players, but of himself. And um, I think he's got a good chance of moving the club in the right direction. Does, it- does that... Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say, does that mean they're going to win the Premier League anytime soon? I would, I would argue no. But yeah. is it? Can they make incremental improvement as they go through the seasons? I think they probably can.
All right. So, and then, do you think that the players have sort of responded to Arteta? Has he been sort of successful in cutting that out? And I feel like my my understanding of that of your answer is going to be that mostly yes. And then there's also Mesut Ozil over here doing his own thing. Yeah, but the Mesut Ozil thing is a problem that Arteta's in, inherited, and, that, and 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 so there's been real positive steps by Arteta. I mean, he's brought some good young players through. Um, he's given players the chance on merit. Um, He's picked up the FA Cup, as we've mentioned. The Ozil thing is kind of a deal that was a poor deal at the time for the club. It's a poor deal now. And the one thing I would say for Arteta is that he's not paid any lip service to what's gone on before. If, if he's not going to be prepared to, to work and to play, he's not being picked. And he was nowhere near the squad for the FA Cup. And, you know, he seems like a pretty peripheral figure at the club now. And that's a, that's an issue that has to be sorted. I don't know whether it can be sorted anytime soon because I don't know who's going to sign him and who's going to pick up those wages. That's another problem to be solved. But I think I have been impressed with the way he's conducted himself. I have been impressed by the teams he's picked. And um, they have occasionally these kind of lapses in concentration where they put in an old-fashioned performance that he clearly is very upset about. But they are able to put things together. And we saw them in the semi-final. They, they won well. They won well against Chelsea in the cup final because they changed it up and they, they played to their strengths and they used their world-class players to good effect. And Lampard, who was also an inexperienced coach, didn't really seem to be able to react to it and couldn't deal with what they had going forward, which is not a surprise because Chelsea's problems have been defensive under Lampard so far. So, you know, so far so good with Arteta. We can't expect him to turn to a world-beater um, overnight. This is not a team who's won the Champions League, you know, in, in their history. So he's got a long way to go. But I, I, if I were an Arsenal fan, I'd be pretty happy with what's happened so far. Hey folks, just a quick second to let you know that this episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Policy Genius. If you're wondering, it is still very much possible to get life insurance during a pandemic, and if you have people depending on you, you might want to look into it. Policy Genius is an insurance marketplace built and backed by a team of industry experts, that's a key thing, who will help you find the best plan for your needs and then handle, this is the other key thing, all the paperwork and red tape to make sure things go as smoothly as possible. It's always nice to know that people who know precisely what they're doing are working on your behalf so that you don't have to work on your behalf. That's how it works. And if you hit any speed bumps during the application process, they will take care of everything. They even have policies which allow eligible customers to skip the in-person medical exam and do it over the phone. Important for this day and age. So if you need life insurance, head to policygenius.com right now to get started. You could save $1,500 or more a year by comparing quotes on their marketplace. That's policygenius.com. When it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. Thank you very much to Policy Genius for sponsoring this episode and making that process very easy. Now back to Luke. I do want to talk Chelsea and Lampard and what went wrong for them in the FA Cup final. First, I wanted to ask about the players at Arsenal themselves. Which players, from what you've heard or what you've seen, do you think were most positively responding to Arteta when he comes in? Do you think like he vibed with the most? I don't even think we need to get into which ones didn't, but I wouldn't mind knowing if you think there are certain performers that are more fundamental to what Arteta is trying to do at Arsenal than others. Um... That's a really good question. So I wouldn't be close enough to the team these days to know necessarily that specifically. I think, you know, Aubameyang's had an amazing season. He's in a, a real crossroads now because um, 31, you know, however many goals he got this season, I don't think anyone has scored more than him in England since he signed for Arsenal, which is an amazing stat. Um, so he's been great. Ceballos has been good. Uh, I think he's a positive if they can do something with him. He's still young as well. The great um, 
story around the goalkeeper, Emmy Martinez, who's waited, I think, 10 years to do something with Arsenal. He's been sent out on loan. He's refused to go back to his native Argentina, want to make a success of it, said he wouldn't go back until he'd been successful. Very emotional scenes in the uh, in the interview after the game. I'm not sure if you guys got those pictures, but that was interesting to see. Uh, Granite Jack has turned. He seems to have turned his career around at Arsenal since um, you know, since Arteta's come along. Um, you know, there's there's, a, there's been a few to be honest. I think the young players he's brought to as well, Saka and Maitland Niles did well. And you know, th- mm-hmm. there's there's a lot to be positive about. Kieran Tierney's coming and looked decent after he's got over his injury problems. You know, Hector Bellerin's still only 25. You know, there's a lot of positivity around there. Um, they just got to um, they just got to keep going, really. I was listening to Football Ramble today, uh, which which you were not on, which I'm assuming is because you're the big boss man and you can do what you want. That's because I was doing the show with you, Taylor. <laughs> there we go, exactly. I like one that. Place at one. They mentioned, I haven't seen the photos of this. Did Bellerin make his winner's medal into an earring? Is that what I heard? Uh, I haven't seen that, and I will listen to that episode on the way into the studio tomorrow because I'm on the show tomorrow, so I'll keep there it fresh. Um, <laughs> but I wouldn't be surprised. Bellerin is a something of a fashion icon. Yeah. Spends a lot of time at London Fashion Week, likes to do photo shoots. That's like his thing. That's like his interest outside of um, football. There's quite a few of those young players like that now. I say young. I mean, they're all young compared to me. But Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Dominic Calvert-Lewin of, our, of Everton, Tom Davis of Everton, they're, they're, they're kind of in that same boat as well. Yeah. They love all that stuff. So I wouldn't be at all surprised. I hope it's not the entire medal because that will probably pull his ear off. Right? That's that's where I was with it. It's like that feels like it's going to be uncomfortable, but I'm sure he can handle it. Uh, losing the FA Cup final, also uncomfortable. For Chelsea, a frustrating day. They go had early uh they lost between two and 30 different players uh to injury yeah. Kovac had sent off for uh a soft yellow if you want to go that route uh there's the incident with Martinez at the edge of the box with all that said what do you think went wrong for Chelsea is there one particular thing is it all those things I mentioned and to a point I think you were speaking about previously are there things you think Lampard could have done in this game to turn things around that he did not Okay, uh, you are the master of asking like five different questions in one. Um, I think actually, I'm not just saying this because I'm talking to an American. I think Christian Pulisic being uh, withdrawn through injury was a real turning point in the game. He was difficult to play against. He always is difficult to play against. People are very excited about him here. His feet are, are amazing. He scores goals. He's quick. He he's, he seems to. It's a real shame that he got this injury. I know towards the end of the season, and Chelsea are about to go out of the Champions League anyway. But he just felt it felt to me like he was really fine on his feet at, at Chelsea. I think he'd be a big player if he can recover properly from his injury. I think he'd be a big player for them next season. When he went off, I think Arsenal got a lot of confidence from that, and I also felt like the reason overall that Chelsea weren't able to, to to win this game. It's just the same old story. It's dogged them all season, really. Defensively, they are very, very poor. They're statistically, I think, the worst team defensively to ever qualify for the Champions League by league position in the Premier League. 54 goals they received, uh, conceded this season. They're terrible without the ball. Um, it's something that, that's dogged Lampard um, probably, I don't think it's unfair to say it, dogged him a bit when he was at Derby as well. He's an inexperienced manager and um, that's the one thing they absolutely need to sort out. The, the talk of them being linked with Declan Rice, I think, is a really positive thing because he can he sees danger really well, Declan. Um, he's a good character as well. I've, I've interviewed him. He's, he's, he's a very, very confident young kid and, and, and has got a big future in the game and I think he's ready to make the step to a Chelsea now. Um all the other players they've signed have been linked with have been attacking players, though, which is interesting. I wonder if Lampard's going down this kind of we're just going to outscore you type attitude, which I think 
tends to end in tears. But to stick to the FA Cup final itself, I think Pulisic going off was a big, big um, loss for them. Defensively, they're not good enough. And the referee was very, very poor. And I don't think the game could really flow consistently or anyone could get any momentum because the refereeing decisions I thought were very, very poor. I think it's been a poor season for refereeing, particularly in the divisions below the Premier League, but in the Premier League as well. Uh, so Christian Pulisic uh, is American. I don't know if you know that. I know it's not very ta- very much talked about ever. It's yeah. not a whole thing. Uh, but he is, uh, which means that we are pretty biased when it's it comes to him. Glad to be hyped up. It's actually good as well. Uh, it's it's odd, right? It only happens every now and then. Slash maybe now. From, uh, Christian Pulisic. Exactly. Yeah. Actually, there you go. <laughs> um, w- what do you make of him? Having no real vested interest in him, you're not a Chelsea fan. You're not really a USMNT fan. Uh, like what what do you make of this season for him? So it's a good question. Uh, I think that he has overall been decent in his first season. It's a, it's, do you know what, Taylor? These questions are normally quite easy to answer because obviously I watch a lot of football, but it's very hard to mm-hmm. be too harsh on players and teams based on what they've had to deal with yeah. with pandemic. You know, I mean, what was always going to be the case was after football came back, it was going to be a case of who can manage these conditions the best I don't want to be too harsh on someone like Christian Pulisic who is living miles away from his family with no prospect of being able to see them anytime soon is it an unfamiliar place an unfamiliar club I think he was at Dortmund long enough to feel like he had a bit of a family there and it's a really really well respected club for looking after its players and rightly so um uh, we're seeing that at the moment, aren't we, with these, with these um, negotiations with Jaden Sancho, who appears to just be saying, "Look, if if you don't start, if May not don't come in, I'm just going to carry on as I am. I'm very, very happy here. Players seem to be very happy at Borussia Dortmund generally, and they only tend to really move when big money is waved around and, and there's a chance to do something a bit different. So, look, I'm not going to judge him too harshly. I think he's been good. I think talent-wise, he's unreal. His feet are so, so good. He's got a lot of pace. He's um, positionally he's pretty decent I saw him play I I think I saw him play when was the last time I saw him play for Dortmund I might have seen him play for Dortmund against Spurs in the Champions League when they were beaten 3-0 at White Hart Lane and he I need listeners to know that Luke is stroking his chin while he contemplates this. Yeah, I can't quite remember. I, I, I'm pretty sure it was then. And, and, and uh, you, you could see in the flesh that he was a, a great, great prospect. If he can recover from this injury, I don't know how bad it is. I've not seen the news about how bad it is in terms of his hamstring. If he, if he can recover, he should have plenty of time to do that. I mean, if it's, if it's a minor strain, he's going to have a month and a bit, isn't he? Which is more than enough time. I, th- I think he could be a really interesting player for Chelsea. He could be a really interesting player for the Premier League as well and for the Americans because of all the reasons you've already stated but here's the kicker let's not forget he's going to have a huge amount of competition for places next season because of the players that Chelsea are signing going forward and that'll be a fascinating battle not whoever Chelsea play but just between the players themselves it's often forgotten that for players to get into the first team and start a game for a Premier League team they've already fought off a load of other players to get to that position on their own team. So the, the, the battle and the competition for places at Chelsea in four positions is going to be very, very strong. And that can only be a good thing for Chelsea going forward. Uh, yeah, you mentioned Chelsea and going forward there. The players they're signing are from a very attacking standpoint. But as you've already said, the defensive issues seem to be pretty, pretty obvious at Chelsea. Um, 
I don't want to ask you necessarily, like, why is that? But I will give you my theory, which is that Frank Lampard, and it's probably over, overly simplified, but Frank Lampard, an attacking midfielder, like, roams around, kind of does what he wants to do in the midfield to create attacking opportunities. That's an oversimplification because obviously it's more nuanced, but has a player like Claude Makélélé behind him who can do a lot of the defensive work. To some extent, I feel like he hasn't really looked at the defensive game that much. And to your point, is much more of a, like, yeah, we'll win 5-3. That's fine. Like, do you think it is sort of his playing career factors into the way he coaches, or do you think there are other issues when it comes to Chelsea's lack of defensive solidarity? Um, I don't actually know. I, th- I think I don't think it is to do with that. I, th- I think it's that he is a, a coach of a certain vintage who's not been doing the game, doing coaching the game for very long, relatively speaking, to the position he's in. There was a lot of opposition to him getting the job certainly among general football fans at the start of the season. You could even argue that he's not done enough to to deserve it. Um, but he's, I think given what he was able to deliver in what was a difficult season, the top four position in an FA Cup final is not too bad. I just think that he's, he's, he's working through the things he's good at and the things he's not good at. And, you know, I don't know if it's realistic to expect someone to be brilliant at all aspects of coaching and management of when they're of his age and when they're of his experience, he's dealing with big players. He's dealing with a lot of external pressures and that's even without the pandemic. So I think it's something that as an intelligent guy, which he is, and he's well known as being, you know, certainly among the football fraternity, a, a kind of fairly deep thinker about the game. I think he might have a chance to, to, um, to, to work on that and to, and to, and to be backed and to be given the players that, um, that he needs, that he feels that he needs. They haven't got that many, if any, standout defenders in their squad and they haven't got any good goalkeepers. So, I mean, it's not easy to stop conceding goals when that's the situation. It's very easy to over-intellectualise these things. But a lot of football is down to good players. You know, Willie Caballero is going to be 39, I think, next week. He had to start the cup final because the goalkeeper they've got as their first choice has been so poor. I mean, and I don't mean just poor. I mean, statistically, the worst goalkeeper in Europe poor that um, they've had to play. What's that? (laughs) I did not know that. So Kepa Izabalaga, by some measures, is statistically the worst goalkeeper in Europe's top five division. So they have to bear that in mind when we're talking about, um, you know, how good a coach it is. I mean, you, you, you can't, you can't, you can't. You, know, you can't make magic gold out of out of straw. He has to be given the the materials, and, and defensively, he doesn't have that yet. He doesn't have standout defenders, in my opinion. Their best defensive player is Reese James, and he's a kid. He's a you know right back, a kid, and so they've got a lot of improvements to be made personnel wise as well. So I think it's about giving him time. And. Would you, as a fan, would you, uh, not of either one of these teams, but just generally speaking, would you rather finish fourth, be in the Champions League, or would you rather win the FA Cup and get into the Europa League if that weren't uh, on the table already? It just depends on the profile of the club. It just depends on what they've won in recent hit times and whether they... um, people I think teams and fans of teams take what they need from situations right so if you look at a team like Spurs they've not won the FA Cup for however long it may be 1991 I think so a long time getting on for for 30 years they've only won the League Cup I think in 2008 in their recent memory but they finished in the top four of the Premier League several times under Pochettino and obviously they haven't done it this season but what I'm saying is they're used to playing in the Champions League if you, if you take you know, the financials out of it and the fact that models that clubs operate on mean they really at some level they have to be in the Champions League you take it to one side to talk about fans would a fan of a club like Spurs prefer to win an FA Cup to have something to hang their hat on to have a day out to remember and all that kind of good stuff maybe they would if you're Arsenal though 
you've won the FA Cup four million times, so you'd probably rather be in the top four. It's difficult to say. Every answer is going to be different from every different person. I think it does depend on the situation the specific mm-hmm. club is in, though. That's fair. A nuanced answer and a correct answer, I would argue. Four but million trophies. Just, I couldn't just say I don't know, could I? That would <laughs> Four million trophies is a lot to fit in that trophy cabinet. I'm sure they can find a way. Stadium, though. <laughs> uh, Chelsea, uh, instead of trophies, are just bringing in new players. Uh, they've strengthened a, a decent amount. City linked with a bunch of different names. Moving to a broader perspective for next season, do you think Liverpool need to do anything in the market to sort of shore up their positioning to make sure that they are in as strong of a position at this time or at the end of the season, whenever that may be next season? Yeah, I think it's absolutely vital. I think um, one thing that Sir Alex Ferguson was able to show in his golden years at Man United was that you always strengthen from a position of strength. Now, the reason for that is because when a team wins a a, a, a league title, particularly in this case, because Liverpool hadn't done it for a very long time, you get this natural bit of inertia. And it might even be subconscious, but this, is, this inertia, yes, we've done it, this exhalation. And to defend it is 10 times harder than just winning it once. So what they need to do is go from a position of strength for, I think, two main reasons. One is you bring new players in that are going to improve you because it gives the other players a kick up the arse. That's important. And two, if you strengthen from the position that Liverpool currently find themselves in, you get the best deals. Mm -hmm. Why do you get the best deals? Because the other team doesn't think that you need the players. So you're not desperate for a player because you're a league champions. If you just want to give yourself a bit of incremental improvement, you can probably do a good deal because the other party in the negotiation knows that you can easily just walk away look at for example the, the situation with um I don't know, pick any position you want in in liverpool say they've got um say alexander arnold right back i've just picked that at random one of the best right backs in the world his statistics are ridiculous they want to go and find the right back that with all the data and all the numbers they crunch can push alexander arnold close they can get a great deal for that player because the other team knows that they don't need him so it's it's about a bit of kinology about strengthening for different reasons at the right time. Because if you if they get to January and they're eighth in the league, well, how much more are they going to have to pay for players? Mm-hmm. A load more because people know they're desperate. So I think it would be sensible for them if they can, and they're a very well-run club. Again, sorry to use this get out and caveat for every single answer, but it really is a seismic event. We don't know what the financials are of different clubs because of COVID. True. So it's hard to know what deals can be done. Bartomeu of Barcelona. Yeah, how dare you reference a pandemic in the times yeah, of the pandemic to say that things are uncertain, Luke? Come on. But yeah, Bartomeu came out of Barcelona today and said, look, you're living in a dream world thinking we can do these big deals. We can't do yeah. them. We can't do Neymar. We can't. He even said they can't do Lautaro Martinez anymore. Now, whether they can or not remains to be seen. But it's clearly affecting clubs. They're losing all their revenue um, in terms of gate receipts. I know, and they're having to accept in some cases lower revenue for TV deals. So we don't know what the situation is. But on the face of it, as a straight answer, I would say they should strengthen where they can strengthen to get players that are going to improve them. Because what's how you stay at the top? It's all very good getting to the top. How you stay at the top is by you doing things like that. One final interruption from me to let you know that this episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Manscaped. Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full body grooming game. They have products for all the hairs that you don't want to have to think about. Ear, nose, chest, swimsuit, you name it. Uh, but they don't just stop there. Do you have gross fingernails? Well, first of all, get it together. You can deal with that. Secondly, if you can't deal with that, they can help. Their Shears 2.0 set is a luxury four-piece nail kit featuring tempered stainless steel tools, fancy, including slashed tip tweezers, 
fancy, round point scissors, fancy, finger clippers, and a medium grit nail file, gritty, but still fancy. Then there's the Perfect Package 3.0 kit, which comes with the essential Lawnmower 3.0, that makes sense, a water-resistant cordless body trimmer, and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. You can get 20% off and free shipping, double, with the code TSS20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using the code TSS20. Summer is here. It's time to manscape, says Manscaped. Thank you very much to Manscaped for sponsoring this episode. Now back to Luke one last time. It is also sort of, for me, difficult to talk about Liverpool just because they've been so comprehensively good uh, to the point where they win the title when they do. Uh, and I think sometimes then, like, the inclination is to talk negatively about them, about to, like, try to find the vulnerabilities, to try to find the weaknesses, to give you something to talk about. What instead I'd rather ask you is, is there a player or players in this Liverpool team that you personally have just enjoyed watching more than others that you feel like have done special things or interesting things that kind of keep you watching them, keep you viewing Liverpool? It's a very good team all over the pitch. Um, I really enjoy the industry and the shot calling of um, the quarterbacking, as you guys would say, of, uh, of Jordan Henderson. I think the presence that Allison's got in goal is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Probably goes understated how, dominant he is as a as a as a figure I mean, it's just if you watched angles of players going on goal against Liverpool from behind the attacking player and see the presence of Allison, it's ridiculous I mean I know it's ridiculous myself to say that any Liverpool player is underrated a bit given what they've just done but Allison, for me the very best there is and so I've enjoyed watching him um uh, I mean they're all brilliant aren't they I they mean, really see, are but but the Allison is a good shout, because especially viewed within the context of Kepa, where it's like spending a bunch of money doesn't always guarantee that you're going to get a finished product that's going to make your team better. With Allison, they got that that, that precise thing, as opposed to Karius or Mignolet or somebody else who's been there previously. Um, uh, we've talked a lot about Southampton on this show, Luke. Why do you think it is that Southampton don't have a sort of local rival that they can compete against uh, in their sort of area? What, what, what's that about? Why are Southampton unheralded in their region? <laughs> uh, Luke, did it cut out? I, I hear silence on your end. It's your dead air, not mine. Sure. <laughs> Luke, as a Pompey fan, refusing to comment. I debated whether or not to ask you that question. <laughs> I did, and here we are. Let's talk about a different team, then. Let's talk about Manchester United. Uh, See, so you can mock me. Uh, I'm a Man United fan. As far as I do, no one's listening to podcasts to hear about Southampton, so you're wasting your own time there. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? Future home of Weston McKinney. Uh, yeah. then, then we'll all care even more. Um, my question for you is a simple one. Is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer a good manager? Because I still see positive. And then I still see some of those lingering negatives. I think they might relate to squad depth, but I would like to hear your thoughts. I don't know, mate. It's difficult to answer that. Ask me one on sport. I have no idea. I think he's, he, he shows one thing he definitely is good at is tapping into the history of Man United. And the thing that this, as, uh, people have used, including myself, admittedly, as a stick to beat him with in the past, that he's too in hoc to the traditions of Man United and that he can't see the wood for the trees because he's too much of a company man. I think he's been able to channel that very, very well. If we take the calendar year of 2020, I think he and them have been absolutely outstanding. Slightly difficult start to the year where they lose at home to Burnley in the league and they're beaten by Liverpool, which fine, fine, Liverpool are good, but they're a big rival, as we all know, so that wasn't a great result 
in whatever the circumstances are. And then they're just breathtakingly good. By one bum performance against Chelsea in the semi-final of the FA Cup, um, where they seem to run a little bit short of, uh, of energy, which is understandable, they haven't lost a game. They haven't lost a game since the, since the middle of January since then, apart from that. So, look, you have to give them credit. They're going to coast through... Um, later this week in the Europa League as well, because they're already five and up from the first leg, and they play Alaska Old Trafford. That's going to be a, a walk in the park. And then they're in the hat. I mean, they, I mean, they're literally in the hat. They can. They've got a good chance of doing something in the Europa League. So, I think it's so far so good. If they if they pick up um, Jane Sancho, which I think they will, I think that's an easy deal to do. I think they deal and they'll do it. They're a, a, a real a real prospect. But the swing we're talking about in um, Premier League terms for next season. What's the point swing they'll have to do to get near Liverpool? It's 33 points. Liverpool got 50% more points than them in the league this season. That is a big ask in any circumstances. But can they be improved on, on what they've shown so far? I think they can. What, what, what will happen now is at some point, Solskjaer will have to deal with a crisis at Man United. And the crisis at Man United on the pitch is probably three or four games without winning one. Mm-hmm. And how he reacts to that will be very indicative of whether he's got a longer-term future at the club. But so far, since the turn of the year, I don't know why. I don't necessarily, on paper, think he's that good a manager. Maybe he's just the right fit for this club. And and so maybe they'll go on to achieve things with, with, uh, with him at the helm. And finally, before I give you the lo- longest answer of all time, just let me say this. Success for Man United is winning things. I know it sounds like a cliché. I know it sounds like you know anyone could just say that, but he has taken United from their lowest ebb, which is a far easier job than maybe following someone like Ferguson or being Ferguson. You know, the expectations at United will change very quickly. You're a Man United fan, you say this, so you'll know this. The expectations will close, uh, will change, sorry, very, very, very quickly, mm-hmm. and how he deals with that will go a long way to detailing whether he stays there a long time. Yeah, the internet is never a great indicator of how things are going, but it is the case that as soon as they, they lost that game, it was immediately like, he's figured it out. This is the best team ever. It's like, he's never going to figure it out. It's a problem. And that is probably informing where that question was Do you want a from. prediction? Do you want a prediction? My prediction is his ideas are still quite old school. And I think he'll try and use a really small group of players next season. And my prediction is they'll start really well and they'll start to run out of steam and they'll start to get figured out. And I don't know if he can change it enough to keep it fresh and to keep people guessing and to grind out those results and to go again. And that's when I think he might come unstuck. Mm -hmm. All right. So we think he could come unstuck. We don't know if he'll be there at the end of the season, obviously. Do you have any concerns about, say, Jose Mourinho at Tottenham or Carlo Ancelotti at Everton in terms of their long-term stability with those teams? I don't have any concerns, no, because I don't care if they stay or not. <laughs> I, I, I think um, Mourinho's got – Spurs have got a huge, huge year. I mean, uh, ordinarily you would say give Mourinho the summer to get the team as he wants it, to get the players he wants, back him. You know what you hired when you hired him. So none of these uh, excuses from Levy about the chairman, Daniel Levy, from not backing him because that's what you get with Mourinho. You have to sign players. He has to be backed. Uh, and then they have to see what what you have to see what comes out of that. Unfortunately, there's not been the chance to do that because the preseason will be so short, and we don't know what's happening with signings. Whether teams can afford to buy players, and if any team's going to plead poverty, it will be Daniel Levy Spurs. So that's difficult to see how that pans out. I think it could go drastically wrong, actually. 
Um, I think Mourinho's yesterday's man, despite their record being okay, his record's pretty decent actually at Spurs overall. They finished the season pretty strongly. Um, but it's been a big drop-off since Pochettino left, obviously. And um, Ancelotti and Everton, it's an interesting situation there because Ancelotti is, is, is football royalty, as we all know. And um, uh, the problem with Everton is that it's a very competitive league for a team like Everton. You know, they can finish anywhere from fifth to 17th. I mean, under David Moyes, back in the kind of, you know, say the glory years, but... David Moyes did a very good job at Everton. And I think I think you can check it, but I think at one point they finished fourth, and at one point they finished seventeenth. You never quite know what you're going to get. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. I don't know what Ancelotti wants to do in terms of the players he's got and the players he wants to bring in. I don't know if he's going to be given the opportunity. They're obviously very well backed financially, and they've been linked with a number of players. There's a lot of positives in their team. Uh, what he's been able to do to improve certain players has been great as well. But it's a very, very difficult. It's a very difficult job to know how to judge them because of the profile of team they are and how competitive the league can be. That's what I would say about that. That was very well said and a very good explainer. I, I struggled to get my head around Everton and why we don't talk about them more, but simultaneously why they don't succeed more. And I think you've just done that really well. So well done to you. As you said, it means there's lots to be sort of figured out uh, in the coming window, which is long and luxurious as we have this ma- massive break from soccer. Just kidding. I think the Champions League starts <laughs> on Friday. Uh, yeah, it does. Uh, we have Champions League resuming Friday. Uh, we have the second legs of Juve Lyon, Manchester City, Real Madrid. Another sort of large question for you. So take all the time you need. But I have long held that French teams were going to be in a lot of trouble because they don't have the season resume. Like PSG have been playing friendlies. I don't think that necessarily prepares you. If you were like on a team heading into this competition, uh, so you know Champions League footballer, no big deal, Luke. Uh, yeah. would you, do you think there's something to be said for having not played and having those friendlies, so you have this fully rested team? Is there something to be said for like the Bundesliga where they ca- came back but now have had that break, or would you rather be in the position of say a Premier League team or La Liga where they're just wrapping up in time for Champions League to start? I think you'd rather be in a position where you've got good matches and, and intense uh, games under your belt. Um, but Paris Saint-Germain never really have that anyway. I mean, that's been the thing that's probably dogged them more than anything really else. really good point. <laughs> they've never, I don't think they've been past the quarter final, have they? And so, and so they, they might find themselves coming up short again because they've not played any football at all. Um, it's, it's a difficult one with PSG. They, don't, they, can't, um, they can't manufacture the comp- level of competition domestically not that anyone should have any sympathy for them because you know of all the obvious reasons but I think I I was reading something yesterday that um the the treble in France I think I I might get this wrong but it's something like the treble in France had never been done till about eight years ago and PSG have done it three times in four years now so that they are head and shoulders above with all the funding they've got um, and, and, and all that other stuff that everyone knows about. They've never been able to do it in the Champions League. They've come pretty close. They've been on the end of some terrible reversals, most famously that Barcelona one. Um, I can't remember what your question was. I would probably... Some people are saying that Bayern Munich might struggle because of the similar thing because their season finished a little bit earlier. I think Bayern Munich are the favourites for this competition. That's my answer. Yeah, I think that's a very safe answer. They already have the advantage on Chelsea. Uh, they have the, the squad harmony and the squad depth. Uh, they have Alfonso Davies, uh, the Canadian fullback, who's going to do big things. So I'm very excited for the Champions League. Is there one like team or player that you tend to gravitate towards when it comes to the Champions League that you prefer watching more than others? And the answer cannot be Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo. 
Um, is there one? Do you know who's been standout best forward in the world is Robert Lewandowski? Yeah. Um, currently, obviously, a top scorer in the Champions League this season. He's scored a ridiculous amount of goals this season. Uh, he's incredible. He's in the peak of his of his life. Um, 31 years old and has scored 52 goals this season for, for, for Bayern Munich. That's a um, decent number. A decent you number. Would, yeah, you would. I mean, because because Messi and Ronaldo have just blown all statistics out of the water, you don't really think too much about that. I mean, it's just a phenomenal amount of goals. He's so, so good. So he could well be the difference for them. I think they're the standout team in this in this um, Champions League um, uh, restart. I think they're the ones to watch. They'll ghost past Chelsea fairly easily. Um I think you'd get very, very long odds indeed in Chelsea turning that around. And then um, they, I think they're the team to beat after that. All right. Well, Luke, I appreciate you talking Champions League, Premier League, FA Cup with me. Uh, I am sorry for trolling you, though I'm not that sorry at the same time. Don't worry. <laughs> but Luke, I, content, Luke, thank you for making your, I assume, final appearance on the show for that for that drive. <laughs> you never ask me these days. You're too big time now, mate. You're too successful. You don't need me anymore. Sure, sure. That, that's what it is. <laughs> uh, but Luke, really, it's always great to have you on the show. It's always great to talk to you. Uh, and it's lovely to see your, your, your shining, smiling face as we have this conversation over Skype. I think at least part of that was true. So thank you very much. The shining part. Uh, Luke, <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, congratulations on everything that's happening with the football well. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And love to you guys. Love to Daryl. Um, sending him strength from across the pond. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate uh, you having me on. It's been great. <laughs>